God wants to use you and your talents for His glory as you step out in faith to serve Him. That's next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Hello, friend. Glad you could make it. We're about to open First Kings here on Abounding Grace as Pastor Ed Taylor has an eye on Chapter 7. Do you sometimes feel like you're just a number and not really needed in the church? Nothing could be further from the truth. God has a plan to use you, and we'll be encouraged to grab hold of that and start serving. Here's Ed with today's teaching. Solomon has made the decision, a wise decision, to build the temple because it was God's will through his dad, David, to do it. And we learned that everything begins with a decision. Every good thing begins with a good decision. Every bad thing begins with a bad decision. And Solomon made the decision to obey the will of God and also to obey the will of his father as David got everything ready for the building of the temple. Notice verse 1 of chapter 7 of 1 Kings. But Solomon took 13 years to build his own house, and he finished all of his house. And he also built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was 100 cubits, its width 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits. Uh, it had four rows of cedar pillars, cedar beams and pillars. It was paneled with cedar above the beams that were on 45 pillars, 15 to a row, windows with beveled frames, three rows, windows opposite in three tiers. Verse 5, all the doorways, doorposts, uh, had rectangular frames. The window was opposite. Then in verse 6, he built the hall of pillars, um, and it, ha- it had its length, and it was all paneled. Verse 9, these were of costly stones hewn to size, trimmed uh, with saws inside and out from the foundation to the eaves, uh, and also on the outside of the great court. The foundation was of costly stones. Verse 10, large stones. Some were 15 feet or 10 cubits. Some were about 12 feet or 8 cubits. Uh, There were costly stones hewn to size cedar wood. The great court was enclosed with three rows of hewn stones, a row of cedar beams in the inner court of the house of the Lord and its vestibule of the temple. Now, in verse 1, you know, he's got, he's, he's got the, what, what's all laid out. What, what is happening here is that from the temple, it took seven years to build the temple, but it took 13 years for him to build his own house. So he's describing the palace compound uh, and what was important there. And before we even get into the rest of the chapter, it's important to compare the differences between building the temple and his house because I believe it speaks to us about the urgency of God's call upon our lives. So he built the the temple much faster than he built his own house. The temple was much more difficult, and it had a much more careful construction, but he was able to finish it in seven years. And when it came to his own house, it took almost twice as long. Now, one commentator suggested that Solomon, at this point in his life, is at a height of his spiritual strength. He's at a height of walking strong with his God. 
and, and has a seriousness about his calling, has a serious, not seriousness about this new role, and his walk is strong, his love for God is pure. And he's walking really at this time in his life closer with the Lord than unfortunately he will the rest of his life. Now, praise God we don't know the rest of our lives. Um, I hope that we're not walking as close with the Lord now than we will the rest of our lives. I, I hope we're just beginning. I hope we're on the upslope. Can I get an amen on that? I hope we're not on the downslope. I hope we didn't hit the height of, well, you know, this is just the best it's going to be. But unfortunately, when you look back on our life, you're able to see that. When you look at the entirety of life, you can say, well, you know, unfortunately that brother peaked there, or unfortunately that brother took a fall, and, and unfortunately that sister, you know, that sister made a bad decision and put them back a few years. And there's a sense of urgency in Solomon because of his closeness to the Lord. And, and that's just the way it is, church. The closer you are in your relationship with Jesus, the more urgent the things of God are to you. The more serious you and I take the things of God. The more serious, not, not repetitiously, not religiously, but just our relationship with the Lord. If you, you think back to the reality of your new believer experience, like everything was fresh and everything was new. And for the most part, you didn't know anything. I, I know when I got saved, I really didn't know anything about the things of God. I, I really couldn't, I couldn't find a lot of the books of the Bible. Uh, I had to look on the table of contents. I didn't know where books of the Bible. So when Pastor Jeff was telling me to go somewhere, I'm like, I'd get lost. I just stopped trying for a while there. And I just wait and wait. And then eventually I bought these tabs to put in your Bible. But then I put them in wrong. So I had to get a new Bible and new tabs. And like, I, I mean, truly, really, I was, I was a blank slate for the Lord. But like many of you, that blank slate got filled with all sorts of things and all sorts of ideas that weren't necessarily from the Lord. They weren't sin or anything, but you know, you learn a few verses, you start to feel good about yourself, and you memorize a couple things, you start to feel good about yourself. You come to church, you know, it's different coming to church as an unbeliever and you're just so excited in the beginning. But then, man, when you're in church for a couple years, you go, oh, okay. And then if you're in the same church for a few years, um, maybe even here, you'll hear the pastor share a story that you heard five years ago, and you go, oh, I heard that story before. I know how to end it. And you're not excited. You know, the, the reason why your pastor shares the same stories over and over again is because those are his stories. Well, you want him to make things up and lie to you? Like, that's his life. And so the longer you're with someone, you're going to hear. But, you know, the, the reality is, is that if you've heard, let's say here, you hear the same story. You don't just shut down. Maybe because you've heard it already, you, you just begin to pray because you're surrounded by people that never heard it. And they're hearing it fresh like you did years ago. But, but then, you, you know, you, why do you cop attitudes? But because you've been around you. Things aren't important anymore. And you think you, got, you, you think you got it made. You think you got things understood. You got that one under your belt. And the reality is, is it's not true. None of us are as far as we really want to be or should be or could be. I mean, that's all going to happen when Jesus returns, you know. We're going to have the fullness of maturity until we see him face to face. But until then, we're growing in grace. And Solomon's urgent, like, hey, between my own house and the house of the Lord, man, I'm going for the house of the Lord. But where is it and when is it exactly where, man, things get flipped around? And it's, it, it is 20 years for the house of the Lord, but you can get your house done in a year. Because after all, you know, you don't want to pay two mortgages and you don't want to go into this. And, and, and come on now. When is it? 
when is it that we have flipped around? We were so excited and then something flipped around. It happens to all of us. I mean, in Israel it happened. Those of you that studied with us not too long ago in our midweek study, we learned in Israel's history when Haggai comes along and he brings a strong word of correction to the nation because what did they do? They neglected the building of the temple. Not only did they neglect the building of the temple, but it's implied that they took the wood, the wood that was supposed to be given and used in the temple, and they used it to panel their own houses, effectively stealing from God to take care of their own stuff. May that not be named among us. So here's this huge palace that Solomon builds. The main house is 75 by 100, 7,500 square feet of his main house. And the temple was only about 2,700 square feet. So why the bigger house? Well, there is some practicality to God because in, ancient, in the ancient Near East, the king's sovereignty wasn't really established until he established his palace. And so there's an essence of Solomon establishing himself into the world around him in the name of God. And there is a lot of practicality to the things of God. A lot of things are just very normal, practical, anointed, common sense. And the rest of the section deals with all the different nuances. Verse 13 now. King Solomon sent and brought Hiram from Tyre. He was the son of a widow from the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a bronze worker. He was filled with wisdom and understanding and skill in working with all kinds of bronze work. So he came to King Solomon and did all of his work. Solomon hires a guy named Hiram, and this, is not, this isn't the same Hiram from Tyre, the king. This is not the king that supplied the wood. This is a craftsman, and he was gifted. And it was wise to have gifted people work on his palace. And it reminded me of a more, significant, uh, a more significant truth when it comes to giftings. Would you turn back to Exodus chapter 32? Let me show you something. Because God has created you a certain way. And God has made you a certain way. And God has placed you in the body for a certain purpose. And there's no need to be jealous of other people's giftings. There's no need to be jealous that you're doing what you're doing, but somebody else is doing what they're doing, and you want to do what they're doing, and you wish they were doing what you're doing, but rather to know that you've made and you were placed in the body the way that God wants you. Notice in verse 1 in Exodus 31. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is verse 1, See, I have called by name Bezaliel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship, in design artistic works to work in gold and silver and bronze, cutting jewels for setting, carving wood to work in all manner of workmanship. Now, notice in verse 2, the emphasis on, or excuse me, uh, in, yeah, in verse 2, see, I have called by name, and then in verse 3, I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, knowledge, in all manner of workmanship. I, I love this. God has called someone by name to do a specific task for the building of the tabernacle and the elements of the tabernacle. And he's called him out. He's called him out by his tribe, by his name, all the way through and put the, filled him with the Spirit of God and made him gifted and skilled in all manner of workmanship. You could say that he's called for a specific purpose, personally. And the same is true for us today. God knows you and me personally. You're not a number. You're not a robot. You're not somebody that's expendable. 
You're not someone, you know, you think of the tribe of Israel here. We're talking a few million people. And out of a few million people, this one guy was singled out by God himself and brought to the attention of Moses for the help and the work with his craftsmanship and his gifting for the work of the tabernacle. And you know, when churches grow, and when churches grow and they, they grow from a few to a little bit more and to a little bit more, there's this temptation and maybe even this false lie to believe, well, you know, this church is so big I'm not needed. That's simply not true. It's not true at all. We're all needed and we all have a place. Or, you know, the church is so big I'm just a number. You're not a number. You're a person. And the Holy Spirit wants to use you. He wants to equip you. He wants to fill you with his spirit, not just in salvation, but to serve him, whether it's within the context of our congregation or whether it's in the context of your home or at work or at Safeway or whatever it might be. But don't let the enemy rip you off to say, well, you know, maybe, maybe nobody knows me. No, the Lord knows you. And I'll tell you what, the more you serve, the more people that know you. <laughs> The more you serve the Lord, the more people will know you. You go, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm telling you, the only way you serve the Lord is by serving people and by loving people and by caring for people. And it's true whether you're in a church of 20 people and God's doing a dynamic work in a church of 20 people or in a church of 20,000 people. It doesn't matter. God, he calls you by name. And the only response that you and I have that is acceptable to God when he calls you by name is to respond and to make yourself available. Especially those of you that, you know, I think of Bezaliel here, like uh, this brother is a gifted craftsman. Like he could take a chunk of wood and make it some. There's a few of you, many of you in this church that are just gifted, amazingly gifted. I happen to not be one of them. I, I, I this isn't me. I, I I'm not good with my hands, and I'm not good with tools, and I'm not good with very much of anything. I'm good at reading and talking. That's pretty much what I'm good at. <laughs> That's not, not, not good stuff to put on your resume, man. And, and, and yet, there's the Spirit of God that gives us the gift. And so, I have the gift of administration. I can take chaos and bring order to it. And, and the Lord has given that to me. And I have the gift of teaching. And I'm able to communicate the gospel in a way where it's understood. And I have the spiritual gift of pastoring where I love people. And I want to lead them in the ways of the Lord creatively. And so, I have my place. So, I can't look at a craft, gifted craftsman uh, or craftswoman like Marie. I can't look at her and be jealous of her. So, oh, I wish I could really work with wood like that. I just need to encourage her. Work with wood all you want, honey. I'm going to be over here reading. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. That's not very nice. But to learn how to, to offer yourself and your gifts and talents that God has given to you to serve the Lord. And it just does away with all of the jealousies and the envy that we have in the body of Christ. You are not insignificant. You are not insignificant in any context. But don't put yourself on the shelf. Don't be fearful to step out in obedience. There's a lot of fear when it comes to serving God. There's a lot of fear stepping out in faith. There's a lot of fear in the missions and going on a short-term trip that might stir your heart to go full-time. There's a lot of fear that comes with that. 
One of the fears that's, that's common is that, man, if I make myself available to God, he's going to lead me or call me to do something that I'm going to absolutely hate and he's going to ruin my life. Or, or like the mission field. What, what do you mean? He's going to call me and I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to sell all my possessions. I'm going to sell everything. And then I'm just going to fall on my face. And then I won't have anything. You know, you don't understand. The original call to sell everything and to leave and move, God gave you everything when you sold everything. You haven't lost anything. It's just stuff. And you guys know as well as I do, I can't believe how many storage places they're building all around town. It is not hard to get stuff. You can go to one of those storage uh, places and go to one of the sales where people didn't pay their bills and you can have their stuff if you want it. But here's the thing. Don't be afraid to serve the Lord. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to fall on your face. It could be that God allowed you to fall on your face to reveal to you what's in your heart. It could be that God allowed you to face this opposition. No, I won't even say it could be. If you're failed... You failed serving the Lord. God allowed that failure to reveal your heart to you, to cause you to cry out to him more, to send you to your knees in prayer. You're praying now more than any time before. Why? Because you failed, but you didn't really fail. You failed, but it wasn't a failure because you were seeking the Lord. And, and God allowed that hardship and that, that, so allowed that person to really hurt you. Why? To reveal in your heart the pride and how much caring what people thought about you meant to you. You didn't know that until somebody says something bad about you. And you're like, whoa, don't think anything bad about me. No, no, now the Lord's going, what do you mean? Don't you, isn't my approval enough for you? Then I call you to my, and so God allows things to, to reveal our character to us so that we might become more dependent upon him. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to serve him and step out in faith. Don't, don't be afraid to lose everything. You know, the Bible says that the person that seeks to gain his life is what? Going to lose it. But the person that seeks to lose their lives, they're going to gain everything. And so the rest of the chapter, you know, from verses 15 to 22, gets back to looking at the temple. And, you know, there are some furnishings um, that, that God uh, used. In verse 15, there were two pillars of bronze. One was 18 cubits high. A line of 12 cubits measured the circumference of each. So these are pretty big. There were two capitals on the top of bronze and the pillars. Verse 17, he made the lattice network, the reeds of chain. Uh, he made the pillars, verse 18, with pomegranates. And the capitals were on top, verse 19. And then notice verse 21. He set up the pillars by the vestibule of the temple. He set up the pillar on the right and called its name Hakim. And he set the pillar up on the left and called its name Boaz. And so the words literally mean on one side, the pillar says he will establish. And on the other side, Boaz means in him there is strength. And they were there to be reminding the people, the children of Israel, of the faithfulness of God and the strength of God. What is it in your life that you have that reminds you of the faithfulness of God and the strength of God in your life? What do you see visually? I know that Marie from time to time around the house will put up different scriptures different fancy, um, you know, frame things around the house. They get changed from time to time. But, but I know there are times when I'm, I'm walking through the house and I'll look up and I'll see, see some promise on the, uh, on the wall and it'll just encourage me. It'll remind me of the faithfulness of God. This is right there on the wall. Most of the time I don't see it, but I see it when I need to see it. <laughs> and it just pops up there and you go, ah, just like those pillars. You're walking in and out, in and out, in and out. But the day you need to remember, hey man, that reminds me of the strength of God. Everything's done with a purpose. 
Everything's done by God with a purpose. And, and it would be wise for you and I to set things up to remind us. To remind us of the strength of the Lord. To remind us of the faithfulness of God in our lives. His stability. His reliability. Because we tend to forget. Notice verse 23. He made the sea of cast, of cast bronze. Uh, this was 10 cubits from one brim to the other. It was completely round. Its height was five cubits. A line of 30 cubits measured its circumference. Below its brim were ornamental buds encircling all around, 10 to a cubit. Uh, and the ornamental buds uh, were cast in two rows when it was cast. Uh, verse 25, it stood on 12 oxen, three looking toward the north, three looking toward the west, three looking toward the south, three looking toward the east. The sea was set upon them, and all their back parts pointed inward. It was the handbreadth thick. Its brim was shaped like the brim of a cup, like a lily blossom. It contained 2,000 baths. And so it's a large tank, basically. And it's seven and a half feet high by 15 feet by 45 feet around. And the priests would walk up to this and wash their hands before they ministered to the Lord. It was filled with about 14,000 gallons of water. If you go to, with us uh, on our tour to Israel and you come to us into the Temple Institute, you'll see, some, you'll see uh, one that's similarly made, not with the oxen, but a similar wash basin um, that's made. And, and these were all very precise things because God requires, you know, we're going to go through the rest of these measurements and we'll go, because God requires preciseness. You, you can't just come and worship God any way that you want. You can't just make it up as you go along. You know, like for example, God has ordained that we gather together in worship in a large gathering like this. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying he's ordained to be here in this particular room at this particular time. But God has ordained larger gatherings. And this happens to be the gathering for our fellowship on a Wednesday night. He's ordained that. He has ordained the gathering on a Sunday or we even to gather on a Saturday in large to remind us that we're not alone. To remind us that whatever the church family size is, the church families to come together and worship together. This is what the early, this is what believers have done from the beginning of time. It's not enough to say, well, you know, I, I can worship God anywhere. I can go, I can worship God out on the golf course. And, you know, just me and my buddies and a golf club and, you know, and I don't need to gather together with it. You can't just make it up. You're right. You can worship God on the golf course until you miss the shot and you break the club and you sin in your anger. But you can worship God on the golf course. Of course you can, but not to the neglect of God's order. And yeah, you can worship God out in the mountains, but not to the neglect of God's order. You can worship God in a variety of different contexts, but you can't make it up as you go along. The Bible says not to neglect the gathering of ourselves together as the such as some are doing right now. So in your church family, wherever and whatever it might be, God has called the assembly together and you're to be a part of the assembly. God has called you to serve. God has called us to give. God has called us to be generous in our love for one another. We can't just make it up along the way. We've been looking at the Old Testament book of 1 Kings here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And if you missed any portion, you can simply go online to calvaryaurora.org. 
or request the CD for just $2 by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-304-7223. Another convenient way to get these daily studies is by signing up to receive the free Abounding Grace podcast. Load the messages onto your mobile device and listen at the gym, in the car, wherever you go. Just go to calvaryaurora.org or look for Abounding Grace Radio in iTunes. Maybe you've noticed God has always been interested in turning unlikely people into a faithful follower, from prostitutes to tax collectors and even normal everyday fishermen. In the book, Jesus Revolution, Pastor Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn recall a time when there was a great spiritual awakening. God transformed an unlikely generation. And Pastor Greg and Ellen believe God can do it again. We'd like to send you a copy of Jesus Revolution for your gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call 877-30-GRACE or make a secure donation online at calvaryaurora.org. If you'd rather write, our address is Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. We'll return to First Kings next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Aurora.